Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 21. Paul writing here. He says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, and being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. But there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation uh, by his blood and through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed, and to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. And therefore we conclude that a man, a person, is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Uh, Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the Jew, that is the circumcised, by faith, or the uncircumcised, the Gentile, through faith. And so, do we then make void the law, speaking here about the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, uh, through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And with that, let's pray together. Lord, we praise you, and Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the the gift of righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for the many favors and blessings. Lord, a lifetime of blessings and benefits. Lord, not to even mention, Lord, a, a glorious eternity. Lord, we're so grateful for what you have provided. And Father, we pray that, uh, Lord, as we uh, consider these verses before us in Romans chapter 3, Lord, uh, you see and know each one of our hearts and lives. You know where we stand. You know, Lord, uh, whether we have truly committed our life uh, and trusted ourselves, and have believed in you, Lord, by faith, or if we haven't. And I pray that, Father, you'd give us understanding. Lord, um, I pray you'd remove any unbelief. I pray regarding the truths that we discuss here this morning. And I pray that, Lord, you would impart to us, Lord, that which we do need. We recognize so often, Lord, uh, that we're incredibly needy. But, Lord, we thank you that you're a God, Lord, who has committed himself to us to provide, Lord, that which we lack and that which we need. And, Lord, we call upon your Holy Spirit this morning that, Lord, you might work. And be glorified, we pray, uh, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we've entitled uh, our message this morning, The Gift of Righteousness, Um. And Paul here is speaking basically about that righteousness that, that comes to us, comes to anybody uh, who very simply puts their faith uh, in Jesus Christ. It's not a, uh, our salvation, our eternity, our heaven is not predicated upon our efforts. Uh, and when you think about religion, that's so often the case. It's based upon what you can do. Uh, if you're a very good person, you know, striving uh, to, you know, accomplish uh, Uh, a certain standard of righteousness. Uh, But when we come to the Bible, we understand, particularly what Paul is saying here today, uh, there's nothing that we can really do of our own effort, um, of our own goodness. There's no amount of money that we can give in order to be saved. It's a free gift uh, given by Jesus Christ. When we come, we put our faith and we put our trust in him and what he has done really on the cross. Now, thus far in chapter 3, as we started last week looking at the first 20 verses, uh, he's basically established for us the depravity of human nature. And I'll tell you what, you don't even need to look at the Bible to understand that, right? All we have to do is look at what's going on in our world, in our culture, and we'll realize that there's something wrong with human nature. There's something wrong with mankind. Um, And that's why Jesus Christ had to come. Um, and, you know, sometimes people think, well, if I just get a little religion, we'll be okay. Uh, and the fact of the matter is we need a lot more than a little religion. 
uh, to patch things up. We need a radical change. And that's what happens when Jesus Christ comes into our lives. He wonderfully, radically changes us, and he gives us a new nature. And that's what we need. The old nature really isn't going to work. Um, But it's as we come to him, and the Holy Spirit of God comes into our life and fills our heart um, uh, and and continues to guide us through life, uh, we we discover that, that our proclivities change, our desires change, our thinking changes, because he has implanted a new nature within our hearts, within our lives. And we discover, as we've been looking here, particularly in these last 20 verses uh, last week, <clears throat> there's a discovery there that basically, uh, you know, we have an inability. We cannot really accomplish uh, a righteousness, and particularly when we begin to try That's one of the reasons for the Ten Commandments of the law in the Old Testament was for God's people to realize they could not fulfill it, no matter how how hard they tried. Uh, And there's a certain inability that we're going to discover, um, maybe not because we're trying to, you know, live according to the Ten Commandments, but we're just simply trying to be righteous in and of ourselves and realize there's a simple, you know, basic inability there. Uh, and we find ourselves sort of frustrated because of our particular moral failures that take place within our lives. And regarding this whole matter of inability, you know, it's interesting. Even children uh, have a certain understanding, um, you know, that basically they're not able uh, to really do certain things, even though certain things, uh, you know, as, as a child is being raised in a home, they're being trained to a certain degree, that they realize they have a certain inability. And I've got a couple letters that were written in Sunday school, and they're kind of like dear God letters from these children. And uh, <clears throat> this one little boy says this, I bet it is very hard for you, he's saying, dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world, for there are only four people in my family, and I could never do it. And uh, we, we, we can relate to that, can't we? Because the acid test of our Christianity, more than any place where it happens in the home, uh, here's another little, uh, let's see, this is Larry. Uh, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill, them, kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. That's a good idea, huh? <laughs> he says, it works for me and my brother. <laughs> and, and so, again, even as children, there's a certain understanding there um, that uh, there's an inability, you know, regarding loving and, and accomplishing some of the certain things that maybe are required of us. Uh, but as we look at the, uh, as, we, as we get into our message here, I just want to make a quick review of what we looked at last week uh, in chapter 3. And one of the questions that comes to us is, what was the purpose? You know, what is the purpose for the law? What does it really accomplish? Uh, the first one is simply this. It sets a high and a holy standard. Uh, it raises the bar when we look at the Bible, the Ten Commandments. A lot of people think, you know, hey, the Ten Commandments, yeah, if everybody would keep them, would the world would be a wonderful place. Well, yeah, it would be. But the problem is, it's such a high standard that even if we think we can keep them outwardly, we find that we fail when it comes inwardly. Uh, that's one of the, the, the discussions that Jesus had with a very righteous person. Uh, because, you know, basically, even though outwardly they were attempting to fulfill, you know, the, the requirements of the law in their outward behavior, but in their hearts and in their minds and in their thoughts, they were totally violating those particular things. So it's a very high and a holy standard. Uh, secondly, it's a moral code. Uh, remember Paul said over in uh, Galatians uh, that it's a school teacher, uh, that, it, that it basically teaches us uh, and, in a sense, uh, directs us toward the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in, 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 in really, in the Old Testament uh, uh, context, they were to practice those things. Uh, but in their practice of it, they'd realize, hey, I can't, I'm struggling with this. I really can't keep it. So in a sense, it was a moral teacher uh, to be implemented in their life. The other thing, too, it reveals basically the nature of sin. Well, we would know what sin is. Sometimes you don't even know, right, you're sinning about something until all of a sudden you're reading the Bible. And as you read the Bible, you realize, wow, I didn't realize it. Uh, uh, you know, I was violating that, you know. Uh, even if I really maybe wasn't violating it outwardly, I was violating it inwardly in the spirit and by my thinking. So it's a, it's a revelation uh, that comes to us about basically, the, you know, the depravity of human nature. Um, when we look at the fact that, you know, what man is, you know, capable of and what, you know, and, and we've talked about this before. We've alluded to it. We can't judge anybody out there, you know, we're so holy, we're so righteous kind of a thing, uh, that if it wasn't for God's grace, we would probably be doing some of those things. And many of us, maybe before we knew Christ, we did some of those things. 
Uh, also, too, the third thing, it's a restrainer of sin. Uh, when, we, when we read the Bible, we find that it, it speaks to our life. It restrains certain behaviors, certain activities. One of the things that you have to understand, if we're going to read the Bible uh, as you know, biblical people, God's people, that it's going to warn us. Uh, there's something about warnings. You know, you ever warn somebody that's got a lot of pride? Like, oh, you know, you don't have to tell me that. I know that kind of a thing. Um, but the fact of the matter is, we need warnings, and, and the Bible is replete with with warnings. Uh, you know, warning us about uh, you know uh, this kind of behavior, where it can lead to. Uh, so often, you'll find the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God and prompting you, prompting me. Uh, there's been times where I've just lost my peace. Uh, about maybe some decision, some plan that I was going to implement. And all of a sudden, I lost my peace about it. That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's speaking to us. He's trying to protect us. Uh, sometimes we don't know the end of a thing. And maybe we sometimes, we, you know, sometimes you ever get involved in something and say, what am I doing? How did I get involved in this? You ever say that to yourself about something? Well, maybe you haven't, but I have. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm thankful now for the work of the Holy Spirit to guide and protect and prompt and convict, you know, about certain, uh, you know, maybe uh, situations that maybe, uh, uh, you know, we would think they look very well from the outside. But the Holy Spirit, you know, gives you a discernment about something. You say, well, I don't think I want to get involved with that. I can do that. Praise God that we need that. He's a rest- the, you know, the, the law is a restrainer. It, it will protect us. Uh, God's truth in our lives. Uh, and, and fourthly, and lastly, regarding the law, it was never meant to justify human effort. It, it was never to justify to say, that, okay, I've done all these things now. I think that's one of the things that really frustrates a lot of people about church and about religion. Because they feel, I can't do that. And that's the purpose of the Ten Commandments. That's the purpose of the law. It was to show us that we cannot gain heaven uh, you know, by our own human effort. And that's why Jesus Christ came. That's why he went to a cross. That's why he has sent the Holy Spirit to empower us and to work in our life and to give us that which we cannot do. Because the beautiful thing about now, after you become a Christian, you find yourself, you find your, you know, your desires lining up with the Ten Commandments, lining up with the Word of God. You know, what does what it say in Psalm 40 about Jesus? He says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. And that's what you and I find once we come to Christ, once, once you know, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. Uh, we find ourselves lighting up with a delight, a desire. Uh, and I tell you what, it's remarkable even to us, isn't it? When you find yourself prompted to do something, it's like just like out of character for you. Um, you know, doing something that is, you know, uh, gracious and kind and godly and good. And it's like, it's almost like a, maybe a little bit over the top. And it's remarkable to you and I that, wow, that's got to be the Lord because that would norm- not normally be me. I remember one time years ago, the Lord prompted me and Margie <clears throat> to give away uh, our income tax check. And, uh, and it was just like, you know, God wasn't forcing us. He wasn't forcing us at all. Uh, but we, we knew somebody that was, we knew a family that was really hurting and, uh, and the Lord just kind of put it in our hearts to kind of do that. And you know what? It was such a joy. It was such an incredible joy. Um, and, and you know how hard it is to give away your income tax check, right? Okay? That's like, you know, miraculous kind of a thing. Uh, but sometimes God will prompt you. Like, he may prompt you. Like, well, you know, I just feel like I want to go on the short-term mission, you know, to, you know, some difficult place. And just God's put it in my heart. And, uh, and when he does that, you know what? You need to cooperate. That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he'll confirm it. He'll confirm it to your heart. Uh, if, he, if, he, if he's leading you to do some good, righteous thing, and it's kind of maybe a little bit, uh, you know, beyond where you've gone before, it's maybe a little bit, uh, you know, a greater step of faith than you've ever taken before. Uh, and when he does that, he'll confirm it to your heart. But you know, you've got to cooperate with it. And that's the beauty uh, the preciousness of the Holy Spirit and walking with God. He has promised that he will lead us, he will guide us, and he'll direct us. But now as we look at verse 21, the gospel will do so much more uh, than our just simply adhering to some outward moral code, which simply the law was or the Ten Commandments were. See, the law can frustrate us, but the gospel of Jesus Christ will fulfill us. In other words, God, in your relationship with him, is designed everything for your life that will fulfill your life. 
Uh, now, the world is always trying to say, you know, uh, offer up some counterfeit thing that we think that's going to fulfill us. If I have this, that, or this other thing, or this kind of relationship in my life, that's what's really going to fulfill me. And we find that these things always denigrate us. They always either denigrate us, uh, defeat us, or defile us in some kind of way. But regarding God's will and God's purpose, God has provided everything in your relationship with Jesus Christ that is going to fulfill and bless you uh, as you go through each step of your walk of faith uh, with him. He says here at verse 21, but now, in other words, uh, he's moving away from the law and, and, and all of those attempts and desires, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law, it's separate from the law. It's separate from having just this moral code. If you've ever had a moral code in your life, you've realized how difficult it is to fulfill that. And sometimes I think people make up their own moral code. I think religions, I think religions outside of Christianity, I think people have their own moral code. Um, but one of the things that you find, and this is why I think it frustrates a lot of people, they feel like, well, uh, I, I, don't, I guess I'm not a religious person, I guess I'm not a spiritual person because I can't, I just simply can't, I can't, I can't you know, toe the line, I can't, I can't really accomplish this. But there's a righteousness God is saying here that's, that's a part. It's totally separate from this moral code type of religiosity. And he says, uh, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed or, or testi testified by the very law and prophets, which simply be the Old Testament. You see, the Old Testament was this. It was a sign point, a signpost, rather. It was pointing us to a different kind of righteousness. All the way through the Old Testament, you have... It's sort of punctuated, if you will, by these verses and truths and promises that there was another kind of righteousness. Uh, let me, let me uh, just give you a sample of that in Isaiah 64. And again, these were people that went to the temple all the time, you know, trying to basically offer up a sacrifice to cover their sin. These were people that had a 1,500 years worth of a consciousness, you know, of biblical truth. He says this in Isaiah 64, 6. He says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind he has taken away. And so here there's this admission there that basically we can't do this, that, that our righteousness, our self-attempts, they're like filthy rags. Uh, Jeremiah would say this a little bit later in chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, and, and, and excuse me, Jeremiah is pointing to what would come and take place. He's really basically prophesying about Jesus Christ and this, you know, this new righteousness that he would bring. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper, speaking about Christ, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And now he's not only speaking of Christ, he's looking all the way forward also too encapsulated in this prophecy is also, too, the millennial reign when Jesus Christ as a king will reign upon the earth. So it covers the whole age of grace, um, but also, too, looks to the future. And he says here, <clears throat> in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Uh, you might have a translation that says, Jehovah to Sidkenu. That's the Hebrew. He's the, Lord. he's the Lord, but he's our righteousness. Again, pointing them away from a personal righteousness that they could accomplish on their own. And it's interesting because when we get over to 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in the very first chapter, and in chapter 1 of Corinthians is really rich with a lot of incredible truth, but he says this in verse 30. He says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So he's simply reminding us there that we have a righteousness that's apart from the law, apart from any moral code, that it's such an incredible righteousness, but it comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. It comes to us. That's why sometimes we, you know, we may look at our own condition, our own situation. We may feel, well, you know what? I don't feel very righteous. And sometimes we can think very unrighteous stuff. But the fact of the matter is that we've been given and gifted a righteousness that is so incredibly superior 
to any righteousness. Now, now sometimes you may look at a, uh, a certain person uh, that you might respect them and respect their walk with the Lord and say, wow, man, that guy, that person is so, they're, they're so close to the Lord, I don't think I could ever achieve that kind of righteousness. You see, we have a righteousness superior because it's the very righteousness of God himself and that he imparts it, he gives it to whoever will ask, to whoever will believe. It's amazing, isn't it, how simple salvation is? There's nothing you can do to earn it. Can't buy it. It's something that is given to us in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now the key here in verse 22, it's the key also to that it opens the door of heaven. I don't know how much people think about, well, it's interesting, you know, when it comes to funerals, everybody believes everybody's going to heaven. Do you ever notice that? I've noticed that about funerals. Everybody's going to heaven. All dogs go to heaven you know, kind of thing. Um, but it's like, how do you get there? That, that's, that's the real question. You know, how does somebody, you know, get uh, to heaven? Um, how do they, you know, how do they uh, accomplish that? You know, how is that rewarded? How is that parsed out? How is that given to us? Is it just sort of given to everybody? I don't think so. Even the righteousness of God, he says, through faith in Jesus Christ. He says it's to all, but only on all who believe. You see, this offer is incredibly extended to every person. That's the beauty of the gospel. Remember, you know, Jesus said before uh, he ascended back into heaven, he, he said, go ye into all the world to his disciples, to his church. Uh, and, it's, and it's really commission. It's called the Great Commission. It's given to us today. Uh, go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. Uh, you don't have to be... You don't have to have a, you know, a seminary degree or a Bible school uh, you know, degree, uh, basically, to be a preacher. Uh, a preacher is a person who basically speaks the truth about Jesus Christ uh, and the truth, basically, about the Bible. So anybody, in a sense, is called, we're all called to basically go into the world, wherever that world is for us, and to basically point people and to share the good news of what he basically has done for them. You know, again, I think a lot of people are so perplexed. They think, well, I, I, you know, I'm not righteous enough to go to church. I'm not good enough. That, you know, they're all good people. And it comes from a, a gross misunderstanding. Because the fact of the matter is, uh, as, you know, this here tells us uh, over in verse 23 here, and this is the very first segment or installment, what we would call the Romans Road. Verse 23. That's, that's the first... Um, position, if you will, of what is called the Romans road. And that is this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think sometimes people when they hear or when they think about, you know, believing in God or believing in biblical truth, they may say, well, you know, I don't think I can believe. I'm really having a struggle with it. And I like the guy who came to Jesus one day with his son who was demon-possessed. I mean, sometimes, it's a, a lot of times when it's our, our families are messed up, our marriage is messed up, our life is messed up, you know, we hear the claims of the gospel, that, that Jesus can change things, that Jesus can make a difference. And so this guy comes to Jesus with, with a, you know, a, a situation which no man can fix demon possession of his son. And Jesus said to this guy, he said, uh, he, he looked at him, he said, only believe. And I like what this guy says back to Jesus because he was perfectly honest. He says, help my unbelief. I think that's a great prayer. I think that's a great prayer because at any given time, not only initially, but in through the course of our life, our faith can hit a wall. Has your faith ever hit a wall? My faith has hit a wall. There have been times where my faith has hit a wall. And that's where the Lord steps in when we look to him and say, Lord, help my unbelief. Remember, the disciples said to Jesus, increase our faith. You, you're, going to hit, you're going to hit a wall at times. You, you're going to get into trials and difficulties where you feel like, I, I don't know if I can go on. 
And in our own strength and our own ability, we cannot. But we can by the grace of God. Because he will wonderfully impart to us that wherewithal. That's what I love about the Lord. He's a God who sustains us. He's a God who keeps us. He's a God who is with us. He's always ready and willing. I love John chapter 16. It reminds us he's our helper. He's always ready, willing uh, to intervene and help us. But it says we have not because we ask not. We need to ask. We need to always be asking. Our God is a generous God, is he not? He's gracious. He's always willing to impart, you know, that which we need. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, humanity is all in the same boat. Uh, I heard, I heard a, a little illustration of a guy. He's down in a coal mine about a mile down in the ground. But then there's another guy who's on the top of the highest peak in the world and as Mount Everest. But you know what? Neither one of them can touch the stars. And when it comes to, you know, somebody's own righteousness, we're all in the same boat. We all need grace. We all need the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because you know what? There are some people that, you know, you look at some people in life, and their station in life is like up here, like they're on Mount Everest. Then there's other people, like, you know, they're, they're down. You know, they're in the pits. And somebody may look at this person, it's way up here, and they go, oh, wow, I wish it was that person. But without Christ, we're all in the same place. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all come equally to the cross and recognize our need. You know, sometimes, too, that it's hard sometimes to, to verbalize. When, when, there's an, when Christ is not in a person's life, there's an emptiness there. And, and a person can kind of grope and go through life trying this, that, or the other thing, something that seemingly will fit into my life, you know, something that will enhance me, something that I'll know that you know, I'm, I'm on track, my life is being fulfilled, my life is being satisfied, and there's just this emptiness there. No matter, how, no matter if there may be secular or material fulfillment, there's just an emptiness there without Jesus Christ. And it's only when he steps into the equation of our lives does he make things right. The day I came to Christ in 1975, I knew instantly. And it was like, it's like I, can't even, I couldn't even fully, I don't know if I can fully verbalize it today. I just know something radically, wonderfully good happened to my life because Christ came in. And you know what? We've got a mission field out there, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, all kinds of folks around us, the society. They need Christ. You know, human righteousness is a good thing for human relationships. It really is. It just won't get you to heaven. I mean, I like having good neighbors. I heard, you know, I heard this many different times, and I've seen it too, how Mormons try to be very nice people. I've got a neighbor. They take care of their property. They take care of their lawn. They do a nice job. Their house looks good. I like having neighbors like that. Human righteousness is good in human relationships, but it just won't get you to heaven. That's what Paul, that's what the Bible says. Now, verse 24, he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? The most expensive gift, the most costly thing is freely given to anybody who will believe. That's why I think for someone to step into eternity without Christ is crazy. Because salvation is so free. You know, the Bible says, freely you have received, freely give. I, I don't know if we understand the, the importance of sharing Christ 
until we get until we realize how blessed this gift of salvation is. But I find it interesting as as soon as someone comes to Christ, um, and I don't know what your story was, but so often when people come to Christ, they can't shut up. Do you ever notice that? They just they just got to tell everybody about Jesus. Did that happen to you? Did you drive some people crazy? We drove, a, Margie and I drove a lot of people crazy, you know, because we just thought, you know what, it, you know, this happened to us. I, as soon as I tell them, it's going to happen for them. Yeah, I thought like that, you know. And, uh, and, you know, all of a sudden you tell, you, you share the gospel, what happened, you know, uh, with your life, and they kind of look at you like, oh, no. <laughs> he, oh, no, he's got religion. We're gonna, he's going to drive us absolutely crazy from this point. But, you know, it's such a wonderful thing to have freely received the most costly gift that is the gift of salvation. That's the gift of God's Holy Spirit. That's the gift that we have. And again, this salvation is, simple, is so beautiful because you know what? He just declares us righteous. Can't buy it. Can't earn it. Can't work for it. God just says, poof, you're righteous. I was kind of thinking about it in relation to somebody that was given maybe, and you ever think about this, an honorary doctorate? You know, how they must think about that? Because you don't have to go through all the channels getting an honorary doctorate. It's just sort of imparted to you, it's given to you because of maybe your life experiences and some things that you had done, wonderful things that you had done. But I would imagine the person that's given this honorary doctorate, he's not going to walk around saying, you know what, I'm a doctor. I've been given a doctorate. Because why? It's an, it was honorary. It was just bestowed upon him. And there's something just sort of in our human nature that we would kind of struggle with that because I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. Didn't go through the channels and over, jumped through the hoops. And I think when it comes to salvation, there's something similar there. That we've just been declared righteous. I, I was a Boy Scout. Any Boy Scouts here? Any former Boy Scouts? Okay. You had to work for merit badges. And man, when you gained that merit badge, man, I remember I, I made it to star. I made it to star. It's like... Uh, Tenderfoot, second class, first class, and I think star is the next one. I didn't get to eagle or anything like that. But I can remember being so proud. I, man, I had that sash, you know, with those five, you know, merit badges on there, you know. I was like, wow, hey, I'm really something. I'm a star, you know, kind of a thing. And we like that. We like that. We like something we have to work for. But salvation is just God declares. Because you believed in him, you're righteous, you're mine. The most costly, precious thing that, that God has done is, and here's what he's doing. He is sharing his righteousness with us. This word redemption, sometimes, you know, the, uh, there's you know, theological terms, biblical terms, uh, Hebrew or Greek terms, uh, that are maybe just translated into one English word, and this is the way it is here with this word redemption. Uh, but the word basically uh, in, in Hebrew is ga'el, uh, and it speaks of basically when, you, when you've gotten into slavery or bondage. And that was so typical in the ancient world, that here comes this relative, and he's going to buy you out of bondage. Remember it spoke of Jesus, you know, the kinsman redeemer, the relative redeemer. And you see, he's become a relative because why? He's taken on flesh and blood. And by his offering, he has paid that price. And he has bought us, you know, out of the bondage that we were once in. Uh, the other word is padad. It means paying a ransom for a release. And that's what he does by giving his life. You know, thinking about this, this whole thing of, you know, we think that in 1865, all slavery was abolished. Oh, no. Man, there's a lot of slavery. There's a lot of bondage going on today in our world. You know, we hear about so many young ladies, young girls that have been caught up in sex trafficking. But, but think of the people out there that 
opioid addiction. They say about 100 people die every day in slavery to drugs, alcohol, greed, materialism. But Jesus is the emancipator. I've seen Jesus deliver people right out of heroin, powerful heroin usage. And he's still doing it today for, for those who will turn to him. <laughs> I was sharing with First Service many years ago before I knew Christ. I was listening to a dialogue on the radio station, secular radio station, I didn't know the Lord. And there was this woman speaking, and I remember she used one word, and I forget the subject matter, um, you know, of that little dialogue that was taking place on radio, but she used the word bondage. And when she used the word bondage, it's like something resonated in me. And I was thinking about an aspect of my life, and I was realizing that spoke to me. That, that spoke to my life. That spoke to what was going on. And of course, I didn't have any answers. I wasn't hearing the gospel. But I think a lot of people, when they realize, I can remember uh, when I was uh, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. I, I knew I was addicted, but I didn't know. And I can remember going through all these, smoking a pipe, smoking cigars, all these ways of trying to basically break that habit. Jesus is the liberator. He's the emancipator. He's the one that no matter what it is, even if it's just something of the heart, some desire, some passion of the heart, I think that's why a lot of people just sort of give in and give up. They realize, huh, I just can't stop thinking about it. So I just want to give in. But Christ can step in and he can change our thinking. He can, that, that, that's, that, that's what he, he does. He changes us on the inside. It's not the outside, just a reflection of what he's doing on the inside. When we commit to him, when we turn our life over to him. Now, verse 25, <clears throat> need to move along here. Uh, it's not so easy to, to translate a certain, a certain word in verse 25, uh, but it's important to because it unlocks the meaning. But let me read the verse to you. Uh, he says, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. He's speaking here about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what it does. He says, uh, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because that in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Now, this word propitiation is interesting because it's used in the Old Testament to, to describe something that was in the temple. It describes basically the mercy seat. And you have in this place, this compartment, all the way in the temple, which is called the Holy of Holies. Nobody could go there except the high priest once a year. He could go in there. Uh, and now the mercy seat was the lid that, you, you remember Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the mercy seat is the lid there. Okay, you have the, two, you have the angels here on either side of it. And when the priest would go behind that curtain, that veil, he would basically go with the blood of the sacrificial lamb, and it was only one time a year, the National Day of Atonement. And he was going in there basically to atone for the sins of not just himself, but the sins of the entire Jewish nation. And what he would do, he would basically go in there, he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And that was simply the place where he, you know, as a high priest, he would meet with God. And what this basically did, it canceled out the sin of the nation. That sacrifice, that one sacrifice, canceled out the sins of the nation that year. And again, this was a reminder as it took place every year until Christ came. And if you remember when Jesus died on the cross, we have some interesting uh, sidelights in the gospel that the veil was torn from top to bottom. And what God was saying by that is the ultimate sacrifice has been made by my son. And therefore now, the veil is open, not just for the high priest to go in and to experience the presence of God once a year, but now the presence of God is available to whosoever will believe. That had to seem like blasphemy to the Jewish mind. 
And even when it happened on that day, I don't think they fully figured it out. But as they figured it out later, wow, that was a statement from God. The finger of God ripped that thing from top to bottom saying, you can now have relationship. You can now experience my presence. It isn't just for some one individual once a year, but it's whosoever. And Jesus Christ has done that. He's done that for you and I. He's given us access. You realize God will hear your prayers? He will hear your prayers because you have access and, and you can intercede and pray for other people and God will hear you. God will answer you. God will work in the circumstances, you know, um, of their lives. I had a man go out to first service. Said he had been bleeding for, for, for weeks. There was urine. That usually indicates cancer. He said, three weeks ago, I went into, over there and had the guys pray for me, and the bleeding stopped. He says, I have to go. I'm going to, I'm going to go in for an MRI. But I went in there for a prayer. I was like, I was saying, wow, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Not, not, not every, you know, not every you know, time we ask for healing, it happens. But I'm so thankful that it does happen when it happens. <laughs> but again, because you and I have access to God Almighty through Jesus Christ. That your life can impact the salvation of another soul, the changing of another life, the, the holding together of a marriage. Because why? You and I come in Jesus' name. We come in Jesus' name. We don't come in our own righteousness. We come in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't feel righteous. You're, you're never going to maybe feel righteous. Stop predicating it upon how I feel. Because if you, if you predicate it upon how you feel, you'll never pray, you'll never go to church, you'll never read your Bible. We go by faith, don't we? We go by faith, not by feelings. <clears throat> now, verse 26, did demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. You, you see, the, the, the cross is the great demonstration for all time of the love and grace of God that has come to us through Jesus Christ. I, I can remember growing up in Catholic church and in, 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 in uh, parochial schools. And basically we would go in, uh, we would go for mass uh, on feast days because we were in school and the church was right next to the school. And uh, we would go in there and I can remember time and time and time again that I would look up at Jesus on the crucified crucifix, big marble crucifix hanging over the altar. But you know something? I didn't realize I did not realize that he died for me. He died for the sins of the world. That that cross actually demonstrated, because I, I honestly would look up at the cross and say, I don't know what that's about. Because when you look at it without understanding the gospel, it looks like he just died and just, he was defeated. He was hung on a cross. But until you understand the purpose of God, the plan of God, that that was the fulfillment of the plan of all plans. That as we simply believe in what he accomplished, and that's the thing, it has to, that, that his death is substitutional. It's substitutional for anyone and everyone, but it has to be personalized by faith. We say, Lord, you died for me. And that's when the liberation comes. That's when the freedom comes. That's when the Spirit of God will move within our hearts, within our lives. We have to believe. We have to trust Him. Secondly, you know what the cross does? It demonstrates the justice of God. Because you know, we hear about the love of God all the time. Praise God for the love of God. Hallelujah. I love the love of God. But you know something? It also demonstrates his justice. Because here's the thing. Instead, here, and again, a lot of people don't realize it because everybody thinks, well, God's judgmental. You know, he just wants to smite everybody. He wants to send firebolts, you know, to people that are having fun. Zzz, zzz. 
yeah, that's kind of my concept of God. <coughs> God just wants to stop me from having fun. Yeah, and again, here is the justice of God. Instead of judging us, he judged himself. See, God came in the person of his son. That's why we talk about a trinity. Our God is one God. He comes in the person of his son. And instead of judging us, he mounts a Roman cross. And he takes our, he judges himself. Talk about love. Talk about a loving God. Talk about a merciful God. It says that his mercy triumphs over judgment. In the statement of the cross, is God, saying, God is saying, I don't want to judge people. That's, what the, that's one of the statements of the cross. I do not want to judge people. So he comes. He offers up himself on our behalf. Where is the boasting then? Well, there is no boasting, right? Our boast is in him. Oh, Jesus, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for what you've done for what you've accomplished. Therefore, we conclude, verse 28, that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Again, here's the conclusion, in case we didn't get it, that we are righteous apart from our own human efforts. You know, I was looking at um, Rock of Ages. Kind of everybody knows the old hymn, um, it goes back to 1776. It's like the birth of the nation. But listen to a few verses from this old hymn. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I, I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I too the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Precious truths underscoring the fact that we're righteous apart from anything that we can do. Now in verse 31, here's the big question. We're going to close with this. What do we do with the Ten Commandments? Just get rid of them. I'll tell you what, let's, let's, encarve, let's carve them on a block of wood and throw it in the fire. What's Paul say? What's Paul say in verse 31? Do we then make void the law? He's speaking here about the law, Moses, the Ten Commandments. Do we void it out? Certainly not. Absolutely not. On the contrary, he says, we establish the law. You see, the law has fulfilled its mission in basically showing us our sin. It's revealed to us a higher standard, not attainable in our humanity. But it's a standard that basically, it's, you know, it's imparted the power. That's why Peter says, be ye holy for I am holy. Because of the imparting now of the Holy Spirit that we can live on another level. And we do. We do as believers. Not that we're better than anybody else, but we live on a higher plane. Because we've been given a new nature. We've been given a new heart. We think differently. We have different desires. As many desires of the human heart can destroy people. But God is giving us, he, he's, he's has given us his nature. He gives us a different way, a, pers a different perspective, a different way of thinking, different passion, different desire. And the law declares basically that men are lawless. E even the sector of society sees it. Do you, do you notice, especially in New York State, uh, they never lack to invent a law, new law. There's constantly, uh, in the legislative branch, they're constantly cranking out new laws, even though uh, there's a lot of old laws that basically say the same thing. There's a recognition there, with, even in this secular society, that men are lawless. And that's what the law does. The law shows us 
the lawless nature of man. But it also, it shows us our true condition. It shows us our need of Christ. You know, there are some folks that when they read the Bible, they put it down. Because it just seems so convicting to them. And yes, we may read those parts of the Bible. But don't leave out the, the part that God has given to us the power to live above our human nature. That we live, a, we live according to a higher law. And Paul, one of the references here in this chapter is what? The law of faith. The law that propels us above and beyond our own human limitations. And finally, the law simply is this. It drives us to Jesus. It drives us to him realizing that I can't do these things, Lord. And when that happens, when we come to him and we make our case, we say, Lord, I cannot do this. And we're going to talk about that some more when we get into some of these later chapters. The Holy Spirit of God will rise up within our hearts, within our lives. And he will give us the wherewithal. You see, the thing about we find a scripture that when God calls us to a higher standard, he enables us. He enables us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why be careful that you just don't look at your own inability. If, you're, if we as Christians are always looking at our own inability, that we're, just, we're not going to really take a step of faith. We're not going to be able to grow. We're not going to be able to trust God for what God wants to do. He's a great God. He's good. He's kind. He's generous. And he wants to impart to you and I the wherewithal that we need day to day, hour to hour, to bring him glory. Amen. Lord, we praise you. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the new life in Christ. Thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit, Father, that, Lord, you have given to enable us, or to enable us, to delight to do thy will. Lord, to, just to be pleasing to you. Lord, to go beyond, Lord, uh, the, uh, the levels of our culture and of our society. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would guide us by your Holy Spirit. I pray for anyone this morning that may be with us. And Lord, their salvation, their relationship with you is just kind of a, a fuzzy question mark. I pray that by your Spirit, you reveal yourself to them. I pray that you just show them, Lord, their need of you. And that, Lord, you would fill their hearts, Lord, uh, with a desire, Lord, to commit to turn their life over to you. Lord, the best decision that we can ever make. And so we thank you, Lord. Uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.